I feel that if we are going to get through this, we are going to get through it with integrity. And if we're going to go down, we're going to go down in like a flame of glory that we've done everything we can to deliver fabulous experiences and to extend runway as best as we can. So I'm evading answering the question because I actually don't know how confident I feel. Welcome to Secret Leaders Series 5, Episode 2, which is all about childcare and managing running a business whilst having kids at home, a problem that Rich and I don't personally have, but one that we're hearing about all the time from our listeners and friends about the increased struggle and how hard it really is. Now, on the podcast today, we have two incredible founders and indeed friends who are running two of the most exciting and successful companies for parents and kids who themselves are having to navigate real-world business crises. So to introduce our amazing guest, we have Rachel Carroll, the founder of Koru Kids, which is building a whole new childcare system starting with after-school care in London. They recruit, train, uh, match, and manage nannies. And in normal times, over a 1,000 Koru Kids nannies every single day in London pick up children from their schools and look after them at home. But these are not normal times. The schools are shut and families are confined to their houses. Koru Kids has had to pivot to new products at the same time as helping its existing customers make some of the biggest adjustments of their lives. Only last year, Rachel, a sole founder of the business, raised 10 million pounds in the biggest Series A of any female founder in Europe. So these huge dreams and the huge faith her investors have in her is currently under some jeopardy, which I'm sure she'll talk about today. Our other amazing guest is the wonderful Bethany Kobe of the brilliant Tech Will Save Us. Now, Tech Will Save Us offers a play-led home learning system focused on creativity and technology for four to 12-year-olds, which delivers fun and long-term learning advantages. They've been offering award-winning experiences for over five years and have sold in over 4,000 retailers globally. They pivoted their model last year to focus more on digital channels and, you know, just in time. But as I know from conversations with Bethany recently, they themselves are also in a precarious position as a business too, despite how well they're poised for this moment in time. So there's a lot to cover. Firstly, welcome to the show to Rachel and Bethany. And before we get to the meaty stuff, it's Saturday afternoon. Tell us how you spent your morning so far. So, Rachel? So I got two kids. I got a two-year-old and a five-year-old and um, my husband's going a bit stir-crazy in the flat. I'm actually quite happy at home. So he took the two-year-olds to the park, um, got woods nearby and they sort of messed about there for a bit. And I um, I actually did some maths like a big nerd with my daughter and um, that's because I'm, as I'm sure will come up, um, parents are meant to be homeschooling at the same time as we're fitting everything else in. And um, I haven't actually done any maths with her all week. So I took this opportunity. I, I was trying to come up with fun games and she was not perhaps finding them quite as fun as I was thinking that she might. That's your Saturday morning for us then. And Bethany? Um, so my, uh, I have two kids as well. I have an eight-year-old and a one-year-old and the, today was my actually my 12 months old first birthday. So we had a virtual digital birthday party at nine o'clock this morning with South Africa, Australia, and the UK. Um, and we ate cake and we sang happy birthday. And then we had breakfast and we've done some gardening today because we're planting a tree for my son's birthday in honor of him. So we did gardening. Um, yeah, so it was a quite relaxing and uh, sugar-infused <laughs> Saturday morning. Oh, that's lovely. Okay, so look, we're going we're gonna, to uh, let you carry on speaking then, Bethany. So we're going to start with you. Um, you've got five minutes to share 
all about the journey where tech will save us up until before COVID-19. So, you know, don't ruin the twist. But up until that moment, um, can you give us a snapshot of your story so far, please? Yeah, sure. So, um, so my background is in kind of product design, branding, innovation, and my co-founder, who's also my husband, which is a whole other podcast, <laughs> is um, is his background is in physical computing, so engineering for human interaction. And we really started the business because a few things were happening. One. We both come from education backgrounds. Um, I grew up in a Montessori household. My mom owned a Montessori school for my whole life. Um, and both of us had been teaching in different capacities. And we were very aware that education is just not moving fast enough to keep up with the pace of technology. Currently, 65% of kids in primary and kindergarten will have jobs that just haven't even been invented yet. And so how do you as a parent or an educator kind of navigate and help prepare kids for that future? So that was one kind of reason to start the business. And the second one was I had my first child and I went to the toy department probably for the first time since I was a child. And it was appalling. It's an understatement. It was gendered. It was plastic. It was not fun in terms of the technologies being provided for kids. And so we are slightly insane and decided to start a business to address this gap that we saw, which was creative products that really helped kids to be producers of technology, empowered by technology, and be creative with technology, not just these passive consumers of it. So long story short, you know, interns packing kits on my kitchen table, we started by doing workshops, and quickly realized we could build a digital platform and a range of experience to create a kind of system, ultimately. Um, and that became the beginning of, I guess, what you would call Tech Will Save Us today. Um, so we have built out a range of experiences from four to 12, ranging from electronic Play-Doh that teaches kids, you know, around electronics and, ele and electricity, building, you know, stories and fantasies all about these kind of really kind of hands-on imaginative play experiences, all the way to wearables that kids can actually program themselves and invent toothbrush trainers and obstacle courses, um, all the way to music tech kits, synthesizers, electronic guitars built out of cardboard, to games design, where kids actually build their own games consoles and program and invent their own games. So really a whole system of experiences that go all throughout childhood. So that's basically what we've built. We distribute through um, uh, retail, as we mentioned in the intro, digital channels like um, e-commerce and marketplaces, as well as education, although that has been our smallest um, channel to date. Last year, we decided to really pivot towards our digital channels, which was a very good thing. Um, didn't know what was coming, but it meant that this year we started the year with over 60% of our distribution coming from our digital channels, whereas last year, or sorry, the year before that, we had about 70% coming from retail. So it was a very large pivot. We restructured the team to do that. We completely you know, rethought the kind of business in order to achieve this kind of change. It was exhausting, as you might imagine. We had to you know, let go of some people, hire some new people. It was a, a really kind of challenging moment. Um, but it has put us in a position now where we have a much more solid model that we're now finding ourselves in in a very challenging kind of landscape, but it is a better model. Um, if we had stayed the way we were, basically the entire retail space would have stopped immediately and so would our revenue. So it was a good decision that we made not knowing this was going to happen. 
All right, thank you very much for that, Daphne. I'm going to let you uh, have a cup of tea and take a little break for a moment. And Rachel, uh, your turn. Can you give us a snapshot? Obviously, I mentioned some of the key highlights, but um, I'd love you to share some of your journey with our listeners. Hi, yeah. So I originally came over from New Zealand a very long time ago and um, did postgrad here and then went to work at McKinsey and from there made it into the healthcare sector. And I was the CEO of a healthcare company when I had my first baby. So that was six years ago now. I never really thought about childcare before then. I'd kind of, my life up to that point had been a series of kind of, you know, working hard, like progressing in some kind of linear fashion. And I just assumed that there would be some kind of childcare system, although I didn't really know how it worked, I assumed something would exist. And um, I was completely flabbergasted to discover that the system complete, like it totally was broken from pretty much every angle. And partly that was me experiencing it. I definitely experienced the cost, but it was more actually hearing from so many of my friends who I'd been through uni with um, or I was working with, and they were all hitting this wall when they had kids. And I started to see the effect on them and they were leaving London when they didn't want to, and they were flying their parents in to live with them when they didn't really want to, and they were deciding not to have another kid because they couldn't afford it, and they were, you know, burning out because of all of the stress, and it was just, like, very dramatic, and the more I looked into it, the more broken I realized the whole system was, and because I was working in healthcare at the time, I kind of thought about this as a whole system and um, decided that rather than building just one bit one thing actually it was the whole system that needed to change and so I decided to build a whole new childcare service um, so right from the very start it was sort of insanely ambitious because that's really really complicated and the first rule of startups is focus like do one thing really really well and um, and I kind of did the opposite I was like I you know I'm I, rather than setting up one little slice of childcare, I'm going to found something that has to do about six or seven different things at once so you know we we recruit nannies which is a business we train them which is a separate business we match them which is another business and then we manage them and do all the payroll and all that we also do ongoing training we also have a nanny community so we have a kind of a digital app which is like the subscription side and we're a marketplace it's kind of like and 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 and, and. So right from the very start, it was a very ambitious attempt to completely remake a system using um, technology content and data. And uh, so we did have to focus on something in some way. And so the thing that we that we chose was um, after school care and after school care is kind of the the forgotten part of childcare. Childcare in general is really overlooked and neglected and disrespected. But after school in particular one in three London schools doesn't have an after-school club, which I think is an astounding stat because obviously school finishes at 3.30. So what on earth are all those parents meant to do? And the answer is, well, virtually always it's the mum who kind of compromises on the career and they somehow muddle through, literally not even having an after-school club, let alone, you know, having one that is, is good um, or that, you know, you can afford or that the kids like or everything else. So I get quite exercised about the way we should see childcare as basic infrastructure, and we don't. You know, I think it should. We should think about it in the same way as we think about water pipes or roads. You know, as just absolutely essential infrastructure for modern living. Um, and so that's what Cory Kids is. And uh, so we're now three years in. I started the business in 2016. And uh, like Bethany, have been lucky to amass a really amazing set of investors. And up until about a month ago, everything was going well. 
we're going to crack on and actually talk about how uh, COVID-19 has directly impacted both of your businesses. So if we can, you know, start with Bethany then, you know, like tell us about the situation you find yourself in today as a business and how you're having to adapt. Yeah, so I think there's two sides to our situation. One is that we are a venture-backed business like Koru Kids, and then the other side is our distribution channels and serving our customers, which are ultimately parents um, and families, kids, in a time where there are 1.5 billion kids globally out of school, and 11.5 million of them are in the UK alone. So it's an astounding, you know, number. And you know, like all of us that have kids, it's this exhausting, confusing. <laughs> bizarre journey that we find ourselves in where we are having to homeschool but it's not really homeschooling it's distance learning and some schools are providing lots of services and some aren't and some kids are really probably thriving in this situation and some aren't and some families are like super structured and they have a plan and they're doing it and some are like this sucks i don't know what to do every day with my child so it's really complex in terms of what families are finding them in themselves in. So I'll start with the, the kind of venture-backed scenario. Um, so we uh, raised our Series A uh, about 18 months ago and had always planned to do our strategic round around now. And we always believed that it was going to be a strategic round. We felt that at this stage in the business, having more strategic money and having the absolute insight and access to what a strategic organization could provide was going to help us to grow exponentially in a way that no VC or any other kind of money just would have no idea how to do that. So we've been talking to really interesting businesses for the last six months, ranging from the Crayolas of the world to the Legos of the world to giant publishing companies, really, really great conversations, very strategic, very different than what I've experienced with VC fundraising, which is not always strategic. And I don't know if Rachel feels that way or, or you guys feel that way as well, but sometimes it's very tactical and very revenue and growth driven rather than actually strategic. But anyway, these conversations are very strategic, very interesting. And we were in a position where we actually had a term sheet from a strategic investor, which I'm not going to talk about very specifically at the moment. And we had also interest from a few other investors to cap out our round and it literally was like an overnight experience. I mean, it's like a weird Netflix movie <laughs> where basically I got a few emails from a few of the investors saying, I have coronavirus, I'm in bed, we're putting a pause on all of our investments, all the way through a bunch of other organizations that we had been speaking to or other kind of family offices that we had been speaking to saying, we're kind of putting a pause indefinitely on investments right now. We're still you know, looking at the market, but we're not sure what we're gonna do to the strategic uh, VC that has a, that gave us a term sheet, basically having conversations about whether or not they're gonna proceed with the investment or not. So all of a sudden, you know, this thing that was basically in the process of being realized and, and very clear strategic outcomes that we had discussed across the board was in jeopardy. And as most businesses that are fundraising, you're not fundraising when, <laughs> when there's like shitloads of cash in the bank. You're fundraising when cash is beginning to run out <laughs> and there's a need for the cash for the next stage of growth. And there's also a need for cash because there's actually a need for cash. So that's the situation we have found ourselves in in terms of the investment side of things. And then in terms of the distribution and family side of things, um, as I mentioned in the intro, 
historically, we've had a very large and quite strong retail um, offering, which, although smaller in our forecast for this year, was still a pretty significant um, part of the um, kind of year for us. It was more than you know 35% of our revenue for the year. And so we've quickly gone to some new scenarios, as you might imagine, that lean heavily into solely leveraging our digital channels, um, marketplaces, and um, e-commerce specifically. The interesting thing about what we found ourselves in that side of what we're experiencing is that we can literally map as announcements have been made in our key territories around social distancing, around school closures, and around lockdown, sales increasing as those announcements has been, have been made. So like March was just astronomical. Has that been a challenge with, um, you know, going through this kind of growth in sales stage, but at the same time, perhaps having difficulties with either your supply chain or just getting this distribution? Like, I'm not familiar with how you distribute your products, but obviously uh, I've heard of other uh, retailers like having issues with the social distancing with their warehouses and things like that. Have you had issues with that? So um, there's a yes, but there's a few interesting things that we've been able to do. So marketplaces is a big part of our digital channel. So we have e-commerce and marketplaces and Amazon, as you know, like, you know, there's going to have to be an alien that lands on the planet and literally stops everything from happening for Amazon to shut. Um, So you'll find that Jeff will just employ them. Yeah, exactly. They will become part of the Amazon conglomerate. So Amazon (laughs) is going to keep shipping, although they are prioritizing what they call you know, necessities or prioritized products. The interesting thing is a bunch of our products are considered necessities. So they are actually being stocked and shipped by Amazon because they are about learning. So whereas some toys are really having a challenge because they are arguably not necessities, (laughs) ours are being considered as a necessity. So we're leaning into having more product in Amazon FBA so that we can ensure that we get shipments happening as fast as possible. The one thing that has happened, which is um, we're hoping we can find a way around it, is we do ship some of our subscription products from our office in the UK, which obviously has had to go into a lockdown situation. But I know that there are a bunch of businesses in the UK that have found ways of getting around that because of the nature of the product. So if you're a food business, you've been able to kind of continue to ship your product. Um, And so I think we might be able to do the same in terms of the learning aspect of our business. Um, But that has uh, meant that we've had to to stop doing things. We were able to ship our last drop for the subscription before we had to close. And we're hoping that we'll be able to open it again before the next drop for the subscription. If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2. You're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner Vanta comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more, getting you audit ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description.
Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI, but until the machines take over, there's only one thing that's going to determine your company's fortunes. People. This isn't some kind of hollow point to make me look good. If you speak privately to any successful entrepreneur, they'll confirm it's true. So, if you're a leader of a growing business, then you should check out Personio. It brings together all the important HR things like hiring, onboarding, payroll data, performance reviews, and so on. You don't want loads of employees sending you emails asking for time off. You want to be able to see things objectively, like it's taking you too long to hire. You want to do performance reviews well, having clear goals for people that are logged in a centralized system. And you want to do all these things in one simple tool without having to become an HR expert. All of this is possible with Personio. Check it out at personio.com forward slash secret leaders. That's personio.com forward slash secret leaders. There's a link in the show notes. Okay, so I'm going to return to you um, in a moment, Bethany, just to talk about uh, supply chain and stuff. But um, I guess someone who's had to, who hasn't had the foresight of creating an entirely digital version of her business, uh, you know, a year ago with uh, digital nannies, who's had to create quite a few last minute changes in her business. So Rachel, can you tell us a little bit about not just what you're doing, but also how you've approached it, the speed at which you've had to make those kind of decisions how those decisions have impacted on your team, obviously talking about furloughing and, uh, and team size and, and all of those things. Because before we get into it, Bethany, I'm assuming you haven't had to do much furloughing or, or letting people go in this current scenario. So we haven't had to let anyone go. We are considering doing some furloughing um, okay. around certain aspects of the business. And we have um, had to make some really tough decisions like doing some um, pay reductions in order to just extend runway. Um, okay. and, you know, like everyone else, we had to do them in a 24 hour period. It happened in one week. We were able to communicate super quickly and, and do the things required to make sure that we have confidence, first and foremost around our employees having security. That was the first thing we wanted to ensure. And second, to make sure that the business had runway. And so Rachel, really tough decisions, right? Yeah, I mean, we've never done more product innovation than we have in the last two weeks. It's been like pivoting at the speed of light. Uh, it's been crazy. And we've launched, you know, sort of three to five new services. We've gone to sort of one to six, you know, one one service only for like two years. And then all of a sudden launched a whole bunch of stuff. And most of, the, most of it is kind of just throwing stuff up and see, seeing what happens. And not all, what, not what all of love, it is actually... So- just quickly, what I love is that you've already described your business, your one service, as all of the different businesses and products <laughs> yeah. in one business. So now you've just had to launch another six on top of those ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've uh, no one's ever um, accused me of oversimplifying. Um, so, so some of the stuff that we're doing, um, not all of it is actually in pursuit of revenue. So, um, one of the first things we did was um, started providing training. We heard about medical students who were providing free childcare to NHS workers. And uh, I just thought that was so cool. They got in touch with me. I talked to them. I found them. I found the whole thing completely inspirational. And so I committed that we would give them free training in childcare. So we've been doing that from quite early on, actually. And we don't we don't get a penny. That costs us, but we don't get a penny from it. I just thought it was really important to do that. And there's a, we're also working behind the scenes on a volunteer service as well, which is which is our own volunteer service. Again, um, obviously, won't be charging for that. Then on, you know, we do need to earn some revenue also. And so what's happened to our main product? You know, our main product is picking kids up from school and there is no school. So, so it doesn't exist anymore. Um, new people into our, into our product has, you know, gone to almost zero. 
one of the big questions for us and our existing families and nannies has been, are nannies actually allowed to go to work? How do the guidelines affect them? And that was a gray area for a while. And you know, we were sort of monitoring various MPs' tweets and stuff to try and get a view into what was actually allowed. It's now pretty clear that they are allowed, but that doesn't mean that everyone is comfortable with it on either the nanny side or the family side. So we've had tons of people who, where the family desperately needs childcare, but also they've fired their nanny. And those two things seem strange, but it's just because they have, you know, a very, very deep commitment to social distancing. And we've got lots of other, lots of other nannies who desperately need income, but also don't want to go to work. So the top priority throughout all of this has actually just been supporting our, our existing matched families and nannies. And um, we've never emailed them so much. We've never done more in terms of emotional support. And we doubled our customer service team. I put extra people on. We sort of do these like emotional psychological support phone calls. And I increased resource to that. We also all started hanging out a lot more on the, in our online nanny community and trying to be really responsive there. Um, again, that doesn't earn us any revenue, but it's just all part of that top priority, which is to try and support everyone as much as we possibly can. We're helping a lot of parents furlough their nannies. And in terms of the business, like that feels like definitely the right thing to do, both morally and in terms of that, our long-term brand. It is absolutely not like short-term commercially beneficial. You know, it means that half my team is doing stuff which doesn't earn us anything and um, trying to basically help people have the best offboarding experience they possibly can have, which seems kind of kind of dumb when you look at it just financially. So then at, this, at the same time, um, we've launched a couple of um, kind of speculative things. One of them is live-in. So if the lockdown gets more intense, which it might, then the only form of childcare that's going to be available will be live-in nannies. And so we've um, had to kind of rapidly build a digital product which matches for live-in. We've had to, for example, um, our matching product um, has always matched using public transport data from, from TfL in London. So it, um, it showed you where, which jobs were kind of within a short public transport commute. And pre-COVID, that was brilliant and really helpful. And now that's just really annoying and terrible. So we've had to decouple and like do some engineering work to take that out just as an example of one of the many product things we've had to do. And then the other thing, um, which I find really exciting, is we've been pivoting virtual nannying. Sorry, we've been piloting virtual nannying, which basically means... Um, like a nanny over Zoom or some other app. Um, there's some, there's some custom-made ones out there actually, which are pretty cool. Like interacts with your kids anywhere between an for an hour to like three hours or so. And from what we can tell, there's actually quite a lot of demand um, out there. We just need to um, make sure that we can actually deliver the product. And it's quite funny. It's what the idea for this came when one of my board members um, suggested it. And you know, sometimes I'm sure you all know this sometimes your board member has like a bright idea and <laughs> your reaction is like oh god and my reaction was that and then one of my other board members in an unbelievable coincidence said oh yes my wife is doing that and his wife was literally doing virtual nannying already so I spoke to her I spoke to the wife and she explained to me what she did and I thought oh, okay maybe there are legs in this and then I went out to our nanny base and said okay is anyone else doing this crazy thing that I totally didn't believe would work and a few people stuck their hands up and, and it turns out it actually was happening in the wild so what we've been doing is um, 
just you know interviewing all those people like basically amplifying what they're doing kind of centralizing all the tips and tricks and then radiating it back out to our nanny base and then to kind of like iterate just constantly doing that and we're starting to get to i think a really cool product and just trying to understand for a second like you know you guys are talking about the kind of changes you've had to make in your business quite rapidly before we go any further just like understanding what kind of insights you actually think that the overall disruption is having a, you know across i guess your sector if you will um because like, you might have the same perspective you might have different ones but um obviously i'm not in that sector so i don't really know and it's it's arguably the most interesting one right now facing disruption so um some insights there yeah, I mean, for us, I think there's a few things that are happening that are really interesting and important. I think one, like the ed tech space has always been looked upon, I think, precariously from, from an investment perspective, that it's, you know, it takes long to grow it. It's a complex thing to kind of figure out. And maybe similarly to what you were saying, Rachel, about, you know, the the kind of space and not having like a large global presence like there are large ed tech businesses but they're they're very old in their approaches and their models and the way they work like pearson is not our model of what we want to be neither is you know any of the toy brands that are educational toy brands they're they're physical brands they have nothing digital they have no community so like vtech I don't have any relationship with VTech as a parent. I don't even want them to talk to me. So I think there is no representation of what we're trying to build in the world. And I think that right now there is absolutely a spotlight being shine, shown on this space because basically everyone is having to do it and experiencing it themselves. And so you're watching your kid on Google Classroom or on some other kind of platform try to learn and navigate the space. And the solution is not that your kid is on you know, a screen you know, seven hours a day. That is horrible. And so I think now people are understanding why it's so important to have digital, physical, experiential, and parental parts to the system. And that's what our system has always been about. So I, I think there's an awareness and a kind of a spotlight being shown on this space that's really important, hopefully for the future of the space. And then I think there's just the disruption to like what it means to learn and parents are having to have a much more intimate relationship with their kids learning. So Rachel talked about doing math this morning with, you know, her daughter. And, you know, I don't know if that's something that you always did, but a lot of parents are, are doing things with their kids from a learning perspective that they may never have done before. And they're understanding their kids learning and they're understanding their kids insecurities and they're understanding what they know and what they don't know as a parent. And I think there's going to be a everyone keeps talking about this new normal but i do think there will be a new normal that emerges from this that is not the old traditional homeschooling model it's not the homeschool that i think everyone kind of thought about and maybe criticized it's a new blended experience i mean my son we were walking down the street yesterday we do art classes every thursday we take a walk and we go sit in the park and we draw and we do paintings and, and that's part of his homeschooling now. And he told me, well, when I go back to school, why don't I take one day a week off and, and do art classes with you still? And I was Johnson. like, yeah. And I had to explain to him, well, the model of school is that you have to go every single day and it goes from nine to, to five and you have after school clubs and you, and like the model was built for quite frankly, parents that don't work. It was built for moms that stayed at home. It was built for a completely different world than we live in right now. And so 
I hope that a new normal will be a very different kind of educational system and process and an intimacy that parents have with their kids' education that just didn't exist before, that they've now been kind of forced <laughs> almost to become more connected to that, which I think will be good, I hope, for families and kids. Yeah, I'm actually reminded of uh, so Nick Jenkins, who obviously was the first guest on the show and we all know quite well. He's really interested in investing in education, but is so stumped by how complicated it is and how bad, like you've, you've already just mentioned, Bethany, all the reasons why um, people don't find it particularly attractive. And he says something really great that stuck with me one time, which is, you know, our education system is something that was designed in the 19th century, taught by people who grew up in the 20th century for people in the 21st century. So, you know, it just doesn't change. And that's why it's so complicated. And like a lot of industries seeing disruption right now, it takes a global shift for everyone at the same time to go through something to actually make people stop and think, well, actually, you know, maybe this is really the wrong way and we have an opportunity now to change it. So, um, yeah. And Rachel, what's, what have you seen for your industry? Yeah, I think um, this is going to be a real earthquake. And part of that is going to be the recession that is inevitably going to come. And especially in the nursery sector, nurseries operate on very, very thin margins. And they've already been hit by lots of things like minimum wage increase and various offset things that, they've, that, that have made it hard for them to make any kind of profit. And this is going to be really, really, really tough. So I expect a lot of nurseries are probably going to go to the wall and um, supply will be a lot less coming out of this. But I think the other thing that is going to also happen is we're all learning how to remote work. And I think this is going to be a seismic shift in every part of the way that we live and work. Because, you know, I can easily imagine like five to 10% of London, of people who live in London, just moving out of London. Like you don't, if you don't have to live here, some percentage of people will leave and it only takes five or 10% of people leave London. That is a very, very significant thing for London and for the housing market and for all, all sorts of other things. So I think you're going to see big demographic and geographic um, shifts from this. Also, I think we're all, we're all learning how to be a family in a really different way to the way that we used to. And People are discovering that although working and having doing childcare is the most unbelievably difficult and like like exhausting, relentless thing you can possibly do, it's not all bad. And uh, the parents that I'm speaking to, yes, they are totally exhausted and they use the word relentless a lot. But they also say it's really lovely having like family lunch, being home for dinner every day. There's definitely really great upsides. And I think a lot of people, a lot more people are going to choose to do that. What I wanted to touch on with both of you is get a semblance of understanding how you guys are actually managing um, right now to run your business manage communication with your teams, uh, the conversations about letting people go, furloughing, and also running a homeschooling program at the same time. You know, it, it is uh, just when you list that out, it's ridiculous. It's not actually possible. And I'd love to learn from you both about how that's actually going down. Yeah, it's totally not possible. Um, and the only way that I'm able to do it is because I have a full-time nanny. And uh, she's been with us for the last couple of years. And um, my daughter's school is a, is a Church of England school. So it's called St. Whatever. And uh, she's named... I don't know that, uh, Saints. 
<laughs> well, I don't, I don't need to identify the exact school, but she's named our, um, our new school St. Holly's um, because Holly is our nanny. And I think uh, that is how I think of, of Holly right now is she's indeed St. Holly and uh, she's doing it. And I, I think um, I'm hearing a lot from parents who don't have, who don't have nannies because that's what I talk to people all the time about. And um, yeah, it's, it's completely impossible. I, I was talking to a parent the other day who has um, twins who are three years old and she has a full-time job and she is also a single mom. That equation just does not compute. For us, I similarly, so we do have a nanny as well. We've, we've had our nanny since my oldest son was four. So she's, she's not a nanny. She's part of our family. I mean, she has, she's now um, living with us three days a week. She didn't live with us before. So to Rachel's comment about this new live-in um, process, that was the way we got around um, when lockdown happened. She felt more safe and comfortable with us doing it that way. We felt safe and comfortable with her doing it that way. So she now sleeps at our house um, three nights a week and then goes home for the Friday and the weekend. Um, and that's worked really well for us. And I would not be able to do this at all without having extra support. So I come from the States. My husband comes from South Africa. We didn't have any family here before helping us. <laughs> and we don't have any family here now helping us. So that has been a, a real savior for us. In terms of structure, um, I think the, you know, the important thing for us as a family, and we've always had an intimacy with education just because of the nature of <laughs> who we are. So the transition was challenging because we weren't ever doing the educating as much as we were feeding into the education, giving feedback, wanting to know about it. What has been actually really great, I think, for us and interesting for us has been to really understand in more depth what the school has been teaching and where our son is in terms of his learning and actually letting him go farther in certain parts that he wants to. Like he just really loves math. So he's just doing all this like crazy math stuff and he really loves art. And so we do, you know, an hour and a half art class every week. And it's actually been, again, like I, I use this word intimacy because I, I do think for some parents it will be a more intimate relationship with their kids learning. Um, so that's been a good part of it, about it. The, the not so easy part has been just structuring our days. That's been really challenging, particularly for me. I have felt very much pulled in lots of different directions, trying to be emotionally available to my kids, to my husband, as well as emotionally available to our team. And, and what about dealing with the business side then? So, I mean, I guess the obvious question of runway comes up because, Bethany, you're in a fundraise, whereas Rachel, it's just an assumption of mine, so correct me if I'm wrong, but with a big Series A like that, I'm just assuming that you're just cutting costs being innovative, but, you know, immediate runway isn't a concern. So, there's a guess. So, tell, let's start with you then, Rachel. Yeah, no, that's that's kind of broadly right. Although, you know, any business is going to have a major hit if it literally has no revenue for six months. Um, you know, that puts any of your plans out. Our investors have been really clear to us that um, 2020 is just going to be a write-off generally for everyone in their portfolios. I'm actually trying to view this as a real opportunity because for the last year, when you raise a lot of money, you that comes with a lot of expectations about growth and where you're going to be at at the next round you know, you have to stay on that path. And often everyone wants kind of product development and growth to be the same thing. And whenever you say, oh, do you know, do you want us to, do you want us to like have great, you know, economics or grow fast? You know, your investors are all like, you need to do both. The reality, just the reality is like, it is different activities to drive each one. You actually do often have to choose. And um, for the last few months, like the last 12 months, we've, we've always chosen growth. And 
particularly for some of the product people in the company, that's been quite painful because they want to work on the product. And I totally understand that. And it's incredibly freeing to be able to say to my team, do you know what? Just fuck growth. Like, just forget about it. Like, we can't grow anyway. So yeah, we're doing these new products, but like those are sort of fun toys that we're doing. And, you know, cause we think they're morally important. We're doing them, but it's not like, this is not going to be a banner year for Koru Kids growth. And that is fine. And it's just the most freeing thing to, to say for the next six months, all we need to do is focus on product. And so our whole objective now is that when we reemerge from this, you know, three, six months, I'm kind of thinking it's six, that we emerge as strong as we possibly can be. And, and when we've got the runway to do that, as long as we um, focus on it, um, the hard thing for us is not that we're going to immediately run out of cash, but it's can we build the product strong enough that we, in 2021, we really do need to grow. And of course, you're in a massively privileged position to be able to do that, right? So, I mean, uh, the envy of a lot of people is, is having that kind of runway right now, as, as we all know, because we're in the same kind of communities with other entrepreneurs, just not the case for so many people. So, Bethany, give us some of your reality. So, I don't feel that way. <laughs> I wish I felt that way. Um, that being said, um, as I mentioned earlier, so we don't have a, a kind of year of runway that we can, you know, kind of luxuriate in. And, and, and neither do we see this as a year where we can't or shouldn't grow. We actually see it as the opposite, mainly because the nature of the product we have right now and its potential in the market and the sales that we've seen and the growth that we've seen, the demand that we continue to see. So we kind of are looking at it differently. We're looking at it as we need to extend runway. We need to make sure we get through this as strong as possible because this actually will put us in an even stronger position in the next six months to hopefully actually really raise our strategic round with even better metrics and with even better um, evidence of the necessity of the product and the kind of joy and efficacy that the product is actually bringing to families because we have more people using them. We have more engagement, uh, you know, across the board. We have, you know, metrics that are coming out of the product that are really beneficial to us. So our plans right now are around extending runway. Um, so those are the things that we are thinking about in terms of um, kind of where my energy is really being spent. And how confident are you feeling? I feel that if we are going to get through this, we are going to get through it with integrity. And if we're going to go down, we're going to go down in like a flame of glory that we've done everything we can to deliver fabulous experiences and to extend runway as best as we can. So that's a, I'm evading answering the question because I actually don't know how confident I feel. Not um, at all. It, every, it actually... every day I feel different, right? Like yesterday I felt super confident and like, this is the perfect time to do these things that we're doing. And, you know, this morning I woke up and I was in a terrible mood because I felt like, this might be the end of our organization in a time where I don't think we've ever been needed more. And that hurts, you know, like as a, as a founder that cares deeply about what we're doing, that feels so ridiculous and bizarrely ironic. I guess where I want to end is, um, might be a tough question, but it's, you know, it's asking you guys for advice uh, for other business owners and busy parents that are managing this right now. And I guess, again, speaking of 
you know, we're all very privileged just to live in London, let alone anything else. And you guys hit the nail on the head with saying, you know, not everyone has to live in nannies, for example. So there's two sides to the advice, if you can possibly offer any in terms of how to handle this, please. I think there's a few things. I think one is that I think there's something about understanding how and what um, kind of rhythms your family kind of has. I think for a lot of parents, at least the parents we're speaking to, I think one of the biggest challenges is time. Like there's this assumption that working from home means you have all this time. And actually it's the exact opposite, <laughs> especially in these conditions. There is literally no time to do anything. At least that's what we're hearing from the parents. They're working all the time. They're demanding positions that they have. They're having to like school their kids now and there's just no time. And I think there's something about rhythms and not thinking that the rhythms have to be the rhythms that they used to be right school doesn't have to happen between the hours that it used to happen it can happen at any hour and i think creating and being creative with rhythms to create some sanity and and a, a bit of balance is really important and so i think parents kind of forgiving themselves and letting themselves find different rhythms is really important and then i think the second thing is i do think that this is an opportunity i keep i keep saying this word but i, I think it is the right word to get closer and more intimate with, with your kids learning. This is a gift. If you have the privilege of being able to do that, you may not have this again, not in this way. And I think if we can find ways of getting closer to that, I only think good things will happen from that kind of intimacy. And so I think for those parents that are finding it hard, it can be hard. It's okay if it's hard, but find ways of, of kind of leaning into the intimate side of it so that you can really get a sense of what your kids are made of and try and support them in the ways that they can because you said this at the beginning the like nurture or nature side of raising kids is it's real and it's not always about you it's usually about them and this is a chance to just really lean into who your kids are right now Rachel I think for me um a lot of it is just about lowering these impossible expectations it is not possible to work full-time and also homeschool kids full-time at the same time. It's just not possible. And, uh, and just don't listen to anyone who implies that it is. We are working really hard to, to come up with new services um, to help people like make, make one plus one somehow equal three. So, you know, if the people who are listening who are in London, like do check in on Coro Kids um, whenever you hear this, because we're, we're literally developing them like, at an incredible pace. I had this this really, for me, enlightening conversation with a bunch of my uni friends um, over WhatsApp uh, yesterday, and they're all parents now, and um, we were saying, how much TV did you all watch when you were kids? And every single one of them, and these are like, you know, people who've achieved a lot, like academically, every single one of them said, oh, I watched a ton of TV, like a ton. And it was not quality TV, you know, we were talking about like, it was all home and away for some reason, even though they were British, I don't know what that's about. And for me, it was like, I remember watching huge numbers of hour long American infomercials. Like really, it was not quality TV. <laughs> And, you know, the kids will be all right. I think we should give ourselves a break and just be kind to ourselves. This is a global emergency. We do not have to be perfect. That's great. Guys, thank you so much for coming onto the show. I learned a ton. Um, and as always, in our show notes, you guys can find the links for both Tech Will Save Us and Koru Kids. And definitely follow them on social. Give me your social handles for the show. Twitter at Rach Carroll and Instagram rach.of.coru.kids. I'm Bethany. 
I'm at Bethany Kobe on Instagram and at Bethany Kobe on Twitter and at Tech Will Save Us on Instagram, at Tech Will Save Us on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Great. Thank you so much, guys. It's been amazing. Thank you. Here at Mindset Win, we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do. Taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests, we will hear stories, strategies, tips and tricks. Told by leading names in sport and beyond. Who know what it takes to get to the very top. There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Next week on Secret Leaders. Although we're a company that um, you know makes a product that really enables distributed work, we weren't a distributed company. The vast majority of 2,000 plus Slack employees come into an office every day. We're distributed all around the world in different offices, but in offices nonetheless. And there's a whole bunch of kind of process that goes with with having physical offices as well that doesn't necessarily very easily translate into into being distributed. That was Cal Henderson, the co-founder of Slack, whose productivity and team communication company's popularity has gone through the roof since the start of this pandemic, as you might imagine. So he's caught up with us to let us know how they've been handling it and how they, as an international team with thousands of employees, have adapted to the change. Tune in or you'll miss out. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was brought to you by me, Dan Murray-Serta, producer Rich Martell, editor Harry Morton of Lower Street Media, and marketing by Hannah Russell of Mags Creative, and stunning visual design by our talented designer Christina Naru of SmartUpVisuals.com. You can check out show notes, transcripts, and our upcoming live events on our website, SecretLeaders.com. If you've not yet, please hit subscribe, leave us a review, tell a friend, take a screenshot of this episode and add it to an Insta story. I mean, you know what to do. And tag us at Secret Leaders or at Dan Murray Serta, and we'll add you to our story in appreciation back. Rich and I put together Secret Leaders for free because we love our day jobs as entrepreneurs, but every time someone takes the time to share it, it means a lot to us. So don't forget, it's the little things like that that keep us coming back every week and every year into the studio. See you next week.